This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. Go ahead and pray this morning, kind of dive into this message. And I pray that as you're watching from home today or wherever you might be, that you pray with me and ask that the Lord lead and guide this sermon today. Would you help me pray? Lord God, we come to you today. God, with open arms, asking you to do whatever you want to in this place. God, we're giving permission to the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. God, I pray that you'd be my words today, that you'd be with my mouth as I preach this message. You'd be with me because, God, I believe this message is something that needs to go forth. That this message is of importance. That this message is something that we need to hear for today. And, God, I pray, I pray so hard that this message be applied so that we can be the church that you have intended for this to be. God, I pray you'd be with my mouth as I speak. God, I pray that you would give me the words to say when it's not on this paper. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide me and that you do with me what you did with Moses. When you told Moses, I will be your mouth as you speak. Father God, I pray right now that you'd open up our ears to hear your word. You'd open up our eyes to see what it is you want us to see. And you'd open up our minds to know the truth of what you're trying to tell us. God, I pray that you would be in this message, Lord. You know more than anybody that I can't do this on my own. So, God, I'm believing in a Holy Spirit infusion of my body. I'm praying that you anoint me like a man from heaven today to preach this word with boldness. Lord, that you would allow me to be precise so that there's no confusion in what you're trying to say today. Lord, let us hear you speak. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Zechariah chapter 12, starting in verse 9, it says, On that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of what? Of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. The prophecy that we read here is about a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will take place in the last days. A similar outpouring is seen in Joel chapter 2, which I believe to be Pentecost in that passage today reads... And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost came in like a, like a flood as a spirit of prophecy. Even poor servants and housemaids were gifted with this prophecy. Yet this great outpouring also became a watering of the Holy Spirit that has lasted throughout time. For over 2,000 years, God has poured out His Spirit like showers on His people, watering His church and protecting His church. Isaiah speaks 
of the church as this right here in chapter 27. He says, in that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. Sing, rejoice, be happy about it. Why? Because in verse 3 it says, I, the Lord, watch over it. Aren't you glad today to know that the Lord is watching over you? He's watching over your home. He's watching over your life. He's watching over your job. He's watching over everything that you face. He watches over you and I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. You see in the Bible there's much in God's word about two rains. Two outpourings. And they're referred to as the first rain or the last or the latter rain. Deuteronomy chapter 11 tells me. So if, and if you're taking notes, I want you to look at that word if. And if you're reading it in your Bible, I want you to circle it. I want you to bold it. I want you to highlight it. Because the word if tells me is that to get what's coming next, there's something that I have to do. It says, if you obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then, see, this is an if and then type relationship. If I do this, then God will do that. If I serve Him, if I love Him, if I serve Him with all my heart and soul, verse 14 tells me, then I will send the rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain. I want you to highlight that part because it's so important. So that you may gather in your grain, new wine and olive oil. You see, I want you to get this morning that for us to get the rains that God has promised, for us to get the latter rain that I know is coming, for us to see the blessings of God over us that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt are in my days coming ahead. I must obey the commands God has given me. I must love the Lord my God. I must serve Him with all my heart and with all of my soul. You see, the planting and harvest seasons in Israel were just the opposite of ours. The first rains fell from October to the end of the year, just before planting season. These rains softened the ground. And the last rains fell from March through April, just prior to the harvest. Those rains ripened the harvest. It's important to note that these two outpourings always had to do with the harvest. It said, so that you may gather in your grain. I want you to hear me today. If you want to judge any move of the Holy Spirit to discern if it is God or of the flesh, then use this right here. The Spirit's work is always centered on the harvest. If it is not about reaching souls, then it's about my flesh. But I'm telling you, whatever move of God takes place, if it is centered around reaching people for Jesus Christ, then it is of God. You see, it doesn't matter what kind of manifestations you see in any so-called move of God. It is not a true movement unless it's centered on the harvest. The Holy Ghost reigns always fall to produce more souls. It's not about to promote myself. The move of God isn't so that I can be this and I can be that and that my platform be elevated. I don't like it when people use a move of God to elevate themselves. Rather, a move of the Spirit is to elevate Him, is to glorify Him, is to praise Him, and is to reach more people for Jesus Christ. You see, God put out His Spirit at Pentecost to prepare the ground. 
The outpouring softened the ground for the gospel seed to be sown. Spirit-filled sowers were sent out from the upper room that day into all the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The church has now seen for over 2,000 years of sowing and growing. And I'm telling you, church, as, as plain as I believe it to be right now, it is harvest time. All who have died in Christ up to now represent the early harvest. But Zechariah prophesies another harvest. And that is the reason Jesus has yet to come. The Lord has been waiting patiently for his last, his latter rain, his mighty harvest of the earth. James chapter 5 says it like this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rain. Zechariah chapter 12 is the promise, the latter rain, that must precede the harvest. The Lord is waiting patiently for that rain to be outpoured because it will produce the final harvest. You see, there was a Pentecostal movement that began in Canada many, many, many years ago called the Latter Rain Movement. It lasted for a while, but today there's only a few, if any, that remain. Yet those who were involved in that movement were convinced that they were experiencing the Spirit's great and last outpouring. Many had said, this is it. We're seeing Zechariah chapter 12 come to pass. But the movement went away and other such movements have come and gone. Why? Because they were not centered on the harvest. Many so-called Holy Ghost movements come and go just as quickly as they come. Because they were man-centered. They were on the gifts, the blessings, the self-improvement, the happiness. You have dancing and laughing and roaring and all these other things attributed to the Holy Ghost. It's all flesh until it produces a broken-heartedness for the lost and unsaved. Now don't get me wrong this morning. I believe in a lot of those things. I believe in, in an outpouring of His Spirit and the manifestations that come with that. I believe in them. But they are only Spirit-led if it results in a hunger and inclination to reach a lost and dying world. Jesus tied the harvest to lost souls when He said, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. Matthew chapter 9. Any true outpouring of the Holy Spirit will focus on this prayer. And the few revivals documented as a genuine, all were blessed with a great harvest of souls. You see, there is no true revival without an in-gathering of the harvest. Moreover, all the graces and ministries of the Holy Ghost in our lives as believers have to do with this last harvest. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, when He comforts us and teaches us and sanctifies us and leads us and shows us the thing to come, it is all meant to prepare us to gather in the harvest to make us co-laborers with Him. You see, I consider what happened as a result of Joel chapter 2 this morning. I want you to think about it. At Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved in one day. And souls were added daily after that. These believers were then thrust out into the world to witness Christ to the lost. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high and the wilderness be a 
fruitful field. What is Isaiah trying to say there? He's saying when the Holy Ghost comes, He produces fruit for the harvest. Lost souls will be won in abundance. And I, what I'm trying to say right now, and what I hope that you understand, and if you don't, I hope to summarize it like this, is that we are about to experience a harvest. We are, believe, we are going to, I believe, not just for our church, but his whole church, we have not been put in a season of waiting like something due to this, uh, to, 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 due to this disease. I believe we're in a season of preparation. We're in a season of getting things right. We're in a season of putting the right systems in place. We're in a right, we are in the ripe season to prepare the ground for a harvest. You see, I told the church last week, most of you heard via online that I've been putting up an above ground pool for my kids. And would you know, I've shared with a few and now I'm about to tell the whole world. I got that thing up the best that I knew how to. I put up all the walls. I, I put in the liner, put in all the right screws, put in everything I thought that I needed to put in there, put the water in it all the way to the top and was ready to start swimming. And then I began to look at it. And I realized it wasn't level. It was about two and a half inches off from being level. Now, for some people, they might think, hey, I'll just live with it. That's okay. But for this OCD guy right here, I couldn't stand looking at it not being level. So what did I do? I took it all down. I drained the water. It took a whole day to drain the water. It took another day to take out all the screws and to take everything down and put it just like it had came in the prepackaged boxes. And I took it all down and I re-leveled the ground because I realized in that moment I wasn't going to have the enjoyment that I wanted to have unless the right preparation was done until I did the things that it told me to do. And I'm telling you, church, there's coming a harvest right now. There's a rain right around the corner that if I don't prepare the ground, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, if I don't abide by what the Bible tells me, then we're not going to be ready for that harvest. We're not going to be able to enjoy what's coming because we have haven't been in that season of preparation let me tell you something I'm not trying to prophesy this morning but I am saying this I want you to hear me the church has not quit churches have not been silent we've been tilling the ground we've been getting the right systems in place we've been getting rid of the things that don't matter and placing importance on the things that are going to bring a harvest there is a rain coming there is a harvest coming the clouds right around the corner and we don't need to be caught not prepared we must be prepared to receive the rain so if you're taking notes today, I want you to know that point number one today is that a mighty end time outpouring is promised upon the house of David. It says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. The church has always had grace and supplication, but this verse is, taking, is talking about a mighty infusion. It signifies something unusual, something mighty, something glorious. Now, I don't believe the New Testament church is to replace Israel in all of the prophecy and the references of the Old Testament. Rather, I believe many of these prophecies 
have dual applications. I also believe that God is going to pour out his spirit upon the Jews into the last hour. There will be a revelation of Jesus Christ to Israel and all the Jews. For example, let me explain. I believe Ezekiel chapter 39 prophesies an outpouring of the spirit upon the Jews after a great attempt by Israel's enemies to destroy her. And then Zechariah chapter 12 is a prophecy spoken directly to the church of Jesus Christ. It talks about the house of David. And that means us. You see, Christ is the seed of the house of David. And that house is comprised of all believers in Christ, both Jewish and Gentile. The book of Colossians chapter 3 has a lengthy passage I'd like to read to you regarding this point. It says in Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. That's grace. For you died to yourself, and now you are hidden inside of Christ. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse number 7. You used to walk in these ways. You used to. Because what I once was, by the grace of God, I'm not that anymore. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. From your lips. Verse 9. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self. With its practices. Verse 10. And have put on the new self. Which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of Jesus Christ. And then verse 11. Here's where it gets to. Here there is no Gentile or Jew. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all. And is in all. Therefore as who are we? God's chosen people. Holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues put on love. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then watch this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of what? Two bodies, three, four. No, it says members of one body. You were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed. Do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In everything that we do, it's not to promote me, but rather to promote God. You see, no one is of Abraham's seed simply because he was born a Jew. No, we are heirs of the promise because of our belief in Jesus. We are God's chosen people. All nationalities are made one in Him. Indeed, we are the Jerusalem from above, the house of David in the last days. And we have the promise of the latter rain coming to us.
The question is not now, is it coming? The question is, are we prepared for it? You see, there are two qualifications prophesied about this last outpouring. The Bible says the Holy Ghost will be poured out as what? A spirit of grace and supplication, Zechariah 12.10. Wherever the spirit falls, these two things are always evident. A spirit of grace, which we're going to talk about right here. And the book of Titus tells us that grace is given to us as power over sin to enable us to live sober, holy lives. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God, Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2. You see, there has been a marvelous measure of this grace. In God's people ever since Pentecost. We just talked about it just last week. Or just two, or sorry, two weeks ago. About the grace of God. And how it covers us. The Holy Ghost has sent a conviction of sin on all nations. Teaching believers of every race and tongue how to forsake ungodliness and worldly lusts. You see, the result has been a people who live soberly and righteously in this present world. And who long for the coming of Jesus. Yet when the Spirit latter rain comes hear me right now we're going to witness an even greater grace god is going to pour out on us a spirit of grace that will establish in us the truth of our justification the lord will have a secure people who never doubt their salvation you're not curious or you wonder if I'm saved, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt because the grace that god has given me that i am saved you see the lord the Lord, the Spirit will move on ministers worldwide who have the power of God and those who have been lukewarm and compromised. The Word will go forth. The Spirit will show us, convict us, teach us that the time is now to get the ground ready. You see, God's grace has been given to His church for over 2,000 years. We've been sustained by grace. And wherever true grace has been preached, it's always been accompanied by a call for repentance and holy living. Yet I believe Zechariah chapter 12 prophesies that in the very last hour, the Holy Ghost will fall mightily on God's people with the spirit of grace that turns them completely from all worldliness. Oh, I was reading just last night a message preached by my dad. He might even be watching online today. And I believe this word he preached many, many years ago ring even truer today than with what we face. This is what he said. This greater grace, that which will come with the latter rain, will produce in people a cry for purity of heart. Ministers will wake up to true grace preaching, the kind that convicts people of every hidden thing in their life. And we're going to witness a convicting, sin-exposing, repentance-preaching beyond anything ever seen in history. All unrighteousness, ungodliness will be exposed. And those in God's house will feel a pressure to do what's right. When the Holy Ghost comes down and exposes sin, Christians who have been lukewarm or uncompromised will be changed. Those who don't yield to the Spirit's dealings ultimately become blind, unwilling to surrender. And eventually, the pressure to live righteously drives them out the door. I want to tell you this morning that the pressure to forsake sin and to do right is going to get hot and heavy in God's last day church. I'm here to tell you, 
that I feel sometimes like, just like Elijah did. When he was up on top of the mountain. And he sees the cloud coming. He says like the size of a man's hand. And he tells the king he better hitch up his horse and get down the mountain because the rain's coming. I feel just like Elijah in wanting to tell the church right now, you better get on your horse. You better hike it up right now and start racing down the mountain because the rain's coming. You better get to where you can and start tilling the ground. Start preparing the ground. And I want to be like Elijah where I hike up whatever I'm wearing and I start running after it too because the rain's coming and it's coming whether we're ready for it or not. And it's time to prepare the ground for the harvest. God's Spirit will bring grace to us. But then number two, there's another qualification here. It says God's Spirit will also pour out a spirit of supplication. The word supplication is never used in the Bible except to denote a cry or prayer that is spoken. In other words, it's not private or merely a meditation. Supplication has to do with the voice. The Hebrew word for it signifies an olive branch wrapped with wool or some kind of cloth waved by somebody seeking surrender. These were called branches of supplication or branches of surrender. I want you to picture a soldier. Ragged and worn. Tired, overwhelmed. Stuck. He's all alone, weary. And he's come to the end of himself. So he breaks a branch off a tree, ties his white undershirt to the end, lifts it up and waves it around, crawls out of the hole saying, I surrender, I give up. That's supplication. It says, I surrender. I can't fight this battle by myself. I'm lost and despairing without any help. You see, supplication is not just calling on God to do what you want. It's not, it's not trying to beg Him or plead with Him to assist you in your plan. On the contrary, it's totally giving up of your will and your way. You see, I believe for centuries, Christians have called on God full of self-will, begging and crying, Oh God, send me here. Send me there. Give me this. Give me that. And we've prayed and we've prayed and pled, Oh God, bless my ministry. Bless my project. Send me money. Send me workers. But in the last days, the Holy Ghost is going to fall with great power to produce a sense of spiritual bankruptcy. He's going to come in such a way that every time you feel the presence of God, you feel empty and just can't get enough. And you want more and more and more. And it's not about the money. It's not about your brains. It's not about the programs. It's not about the ministry and your plans. You realize when you begin to worry about those things that you've not even touched this world. The truth is, if we want to be honest with ourselves, the church might have even lost ground. The church had become weak. And I believe this season that we're in right now, where we're not able to meet with each other, where churches, the world wants to say we've been put on pause. I'm here to tell you we have not been put on pause. I believe in this season we're in it to get our strength back, to get our will back, to get our passion back, to get our want to back. The devil thought he had us beat, but all he did was wake a sleeping giant. I'm here to tell you we took a step back. We realized what we were missing and we began to apply it. We have marching orders now and it's time to go. My dad once preached that all 
all God requires is a heartfelt cry, a desperate calling upon His name. But the Holy Spirit today has shown me it takes much more than this to touch His heart. Malachi speaks of God's people uh, saying, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out. Malachi chapter 2. Yet the Lord did not receive their cries. Why? Because the men of Israel were dealing treacherously with their wives. They were divorcing them. They were pursuing other women. These people didn't come before Him with a flag of surrender. Had they done that, I believe God would have answered their prayers. I'm here to tell you, church, it's time that we raise up the white flag and say, God, Holy Spirit, I surrender my life to You. I surrender everything that I have to You. I know that the days are numbered. I know that the time has come. And I want to be a part of this jubilee in the sky. And I I want to help begin to till the ground to make ready for the harvest coming. I see the clouds coming. I know the rain is coming. So Lord, don't let me be blinded by what this world is trying to tell me to do, but rather let me let my spiritual eyes be open so I can see the truth and do what it is you want us to do. God, I surrender to you. You have you have um, a Daniel chapter 9. That demonstrates what supplication is all about. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. You see, this is the cry of surrender. And of, of absolute helplessness. You see, Daniel was saying, Oh God, we've sinned against you. And we can't do anything about it. We're helpless. We're hopeless. We've rejected you. We've hurt you. And now we appeal, God, to your mercy. We surrender. We give it to you. Hear our supplication. And God will give greater grace and a spirit of surrender. I'm telling you, in the last days, when this latter rain comes, God will give you greater grace. You don't have to mourn and wail over your past, but rather you give your heart to Him today, and greater grace will be bestowed upon you so that you can wipe off the old self, and you can put in the new self which was made in Christ Jesus. You don't have to worry about your past. You don't have to worry about what you used to do, or what you used to be like, or the things you used to be involved with but rather you are a new person in Christ Jesus and then the surrender comes where you say God in order to keep this up I cannot do it on my own so God I surrender my will to you and whatever it is you want that's what I'm going to do he'll give greater grace and a spirit of surrender and here's what I believe when the Holy Ghost pours out a spirit of supplication we will see praying such as the world has never known. When it becomes less of what I want. When it, God help me. I feel the spirit right here and I hope you do in your home. When it stops becoming about tradition. When it stops becoming about what I want. 
And when it starts to become what he wants, and it starts to become what God wants in my life and in his church, then I believe a greater end of time outpouring latter rain is going to come and sweep the nation with a praise, with a song, with a shout. We will see praying such as the world has never known. In every case, the spirit of prayer is tied to the harvest. You have Pastor Jim who's in um, Brooklyn, New York. Massive megachurch. Who when you read his book, says that why he has it, why God has blessed him with this church is because he went on a trip. And God spoke to him and said that if you make prayer a priority, there will never be a building large enough to contain the people that I'll send. Prayer became priority. And God gave him numbers like he never thought. You have Life Church. You have Church of the Highlands. You have Elevation Church. Transformation Church in Tulsa that all now proclaim the power of the Holy Spirit in their churches. Why do you think God is sending out an outpouring? Why do you think God has done just, just everything that He has done? Why do you think that God is pouring out on those churches? Because they have a spirit of surrender. Because there's a spirit of prayer. Because the Holy Spirit is evident. Let me tell you something. God is on the move. Are we ready? Will we miss it? Are we prepared? You can't manufacture this kind of inclination to pray. It's a result of a spirit of surrender. God is doing what he promised in Zechariah chapter 12. And these believers are already experiencing it. You see, God has promised that for us too. If we'll surrender to him. So how can I make sure I am poured out upon with this spirit? I believe in this passage, in chapter 10, verse 1, it tells us. It says, ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who sends the storms. He gives showers of rain to all people and plants of the field to everyone. We have to ask him. We have to ask the Lord for supplication. He's telling us right here in this passage. Ask and I will give you this burden. But you must seek it from me. You see, isn't it time, church? We started asking God. God, what must I do so that you'll pour out your spirit upon me? What must I change? So that the power of God flows through me like I've never felt it. What must I do so that there's never a moment where I don't feel the power of God? What must I become so that the presence of God becomes strong in me? And I believe when we get there, we get to that place where we find ourselves praying for holiness, for godliness, for purity. You begin to intercede for your lost loved ones and weep over this dying world. But to get to that place, I must ask him to do it. If you'll come and just begin to play. I want to bring to you my last point today. This last outpouring. The latter rain of grace and supplication. I believe is going to bring people back to their knees. I see in this prophecy a, 
a new picture of the cross. Watch what it says in the end, end, end of the last part of verse 10. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Right now, the Holy Spirit is doing just that. Right now, the Holy Ghost is moving in churches and people are falling on their knees. People who were, who, who were addicted to drugs. People who had sexual sins. People who, who were living a life of lust and greed and impurities are falling on their knees and their lives are being transformed because of the power of Jesus Christ. Because they feel the conviction of their heart. They feel the tug on their heart. And they say, God, I can't go another day without you. There will be weeping. You see, when the Spirit comes down, there will be a purging as well. There will be a brokenness. A reality of how our sins grieve the heart of God. The Holy Ghost is going to move this way, not just in churches, but in every home and individual believer. In chapter 12, verse 12, the land will mourn each clan by itself with their wives by themselves. The clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives. What it's saying is that there will be a convicting message to us. If we want the latter rain upon our life, if we want it for our home, if we want it for us, we must ask God for the grace and we must surrender our will to Him. I want to conclude this today and give you some qualification and marks of this latter rain outpouring of the Spirit. And if any so-called movement of the Spirit doesn't measure up with these, you know it's the flesh. A Spirit move is number one, centered on the harvest. It has to be about people. Number two, a Spirit of grace leading to repentance. For a true move of God, there's going to be a time where people repent and come to know Him. Number three, a spirit of surrender. Resulting with an urgency to pray in the Spirit. I want to encourage you today. If you don't have the power, the dorea of the Holy Spirit working inside of you. That message of tongues spoken through your mouth. I encourage you to seek it, to pray for it, to surrender your will to His. Centered in the harvest, a spirit of grace leading to repentance, a spirit of surrendering, er, uh, uh, resulting in an urgency to pray. And then four, a yearning for Jesus and a mourning, brokenness and weeping with godly sorrow for sin. Church, I want to tell you, it is possible to miss out on what the Spirit has promised. Even in the midst of His reign, you can end up in the desert. Hebrews chapter 6 says it like this. 
Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it. And that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed. Receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. I don't want to get burned today and miss out on what God is doing. I pray for him to include me. If you're watching this morning. And you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. I invite you to know him. I invite you to accept him in your heart. I invite you to, to know him as your Savior because in him all things are made new. I want to pray with you today. And if you're watching today and you want to make sure you don't miss this rain, I need you to understand before corporate revival can take place, personal revival must come. And you say, Pastor, I don't want to miss it. I want God to burn in my heart and for me to yearn after His presence. I want a, a reignited flame in me to read His Word, to have daily devotion with Him. I believe you, Pastor Chris, that the rain's coming. And I want to be a part of the, the ground tilling process to get ready for the harvest. If that's you, I want to pray with you too. Because not only do I want you to have a relationship with Jesus, but I want you to be on fire for Him. And that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. That because you have Christ, that nothing will ever separate you from his love.